Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 34 of the Fitness Devil Podcast. Today's guest, we bring back Sarah Ashman. She gets her own episode. We uh, cut Jay out of the mix, so hang around and check out what Sarah has to say. We do a whole lot of nutrition talk, some more gut health, gut microbiome stuff. Um, we touch on wheat gluten again. We also sneak in there some stuff about how autism and gut microbiome have a relationship. We hit on Monsanto. You're going to have to listen to find out what that's all about. Uh, actually, a lot of stuff about uh, Sarah's recent uh, Master's of Business Administration and the role of business in our industry. And she has an octopus tattoo. We'll find out why octopi are important to Sarah. So enjoy. Thank you. Shut up and sit down. Hi guys, welcome to the Fitness Devil Podcast. Uh, I'm Andrew Coates, Dean Guido's here with me. We've got a brand new mic, hopefully it sounds better than what we had before, and we even might be able to get you guys some video of this stuff, so if you're actually watching the video, well, hey. We'll, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, and we're talking just on audio and there's no video, I guess. Like, yeah, don't be too disappointed. We fucked it up. <laughs> but uh, today we've got uh, Sarah Ashman back on the podcast, so... You guys, if you've been around a little while, you would have met Sarah on episode 26, or maybe you're actually her fan who is finding us. But we had her on with Jay, and we let Jay talk maybe more <laughs> than we let Sarah talk. And Jay's been on before, so we actually want to make sure that you guys got a lot of Sarah today. Uh, we did hit on some nutrition with her, but we didn't go anywhere deep enough to explore Sarah's knowledge, and we really had to have her back for more. So uh, what's new in a couple of months? Um... Besides the new gym and, new, and hopefully the new house. Yeah. So Jay is opening a gym um, on Kansas City in the Crossroads area. Okay. And I'm super excited for that. That is, that's something he's been wanting to do for a while. Um, I'm, Look at Jay in the background. Know, Sorry. <laughs> uh, <laughs> see him. Jay, just say see it. him in the background? Yeah. He's smiling like he's, a dork. I heard uh, something. I decided to jump in. <laughs> Um, so he's, he's quite excited about that. And so am I, um, it's, it's definitely probably one of the most rewarding experiences owning a gym. And, um, I think he's going to be awesome at it. And so I'm sort of, um, helping, I don't want to get roped into running a gym again, mm -hmm. but, um, if that happens, it happens. Cause I have, I've, I'm really bad at saying no to things. Um, <laughs> I tend to put a million things on my plate. So yeah. And then this morning we were taking a, a final look at a house that we possibly want to buy and so that's happening too at the same time um so you're just losing all sorts of money you're spending all sorts of money on things and i know yeah by by june we're gonna have like no money left in our bank account but um that's okay we'll we'll get rolling again so that's that's basically what's happened um i mean major stuff so that's, that's what we're spending the majority of our time on. We did roll out the metabolic edge program. Nice. So we're slowly growing that. Good. Um, so far I've had great results in the first, we're really only like five weeks into it. So sweet. Should we just jump right into it. Yeah. Go for it, man. Awesome. So like your thing is, well, we're going to say your thing is gut health and gut microbiome. So let's revisit that and kind of explain for everyone why this is important and why it's taken our industry this long to understand basically it's role in fat loss and in health, really? Yeah. So there's, um, I mean, the microbiome is such a meaty subject. It There's so many 
things that it, that it relates to human health, disease, weight loss, fitness, et cetera. Um, and I, and I don't think that we even know 1% of what we could possibly know. Um, there's just so much information out there that we could look into, but what we do know is that, um, the gut microbiome is foundational for forming our immune system from birth until the first approximately five to six years of age, but then throughout adulthood, um, so, and I think I briefly touched on this in the last one. I, you know, just for like a minute, I kind of talked about how um, basically diversity of your microbiome. So what that means is that the more types of bacteria you come in contact with and that accumulate in your gut, um, the more diverse your microbiome is, the stronger it is, and the better it is at helping you live and survive. Um, so from birth to about five years, that's essentially what is happening to your microbiome. Everything you come in contact with is something that is feeding that system and making it more diverse. Um, so a lot of the like kind of epidemiological research out there has looked at, um, people who live in the cities versus, um, rural or countryside and exposure to animals and exposure to soil and, and things like that. Cause we, the more bacteria we pick up in our surroundings and our environment, especially if it's outdoors, the more diverse and strong that is versus living in a very urban and sanitized environment. Or if you happen to live somewhere, like say, I always give the example of like moms who are clean freaks. If you're constantly sanitizing everything in your home, that's actually worse for you than leaving it unsanitized from, from a diversity standpoint. It, so it actually makes uh, sense that because we see what seems like a lot more allergies and intolerances to various stuff you hear about all the time. And sometimes that's the effect of people communicating over social media, but it, it seems like it's just, it's a little bit more prevalent and it makes sense what you just said, where, you know, you're getting kids growing up in basically sanitized environments, but that's actually doing right. them a disservice. I, this is an anecdote, this is just me, but I grew up in a rural town running around out in the woods, all sorts of stuff. And I'm, I'm not allergic to fucking anything and I can, tolerate just about anything in my system. I can eat anything I want. Alcohol is not a problem. And I don't think that's a coincidence, right? No, and that's actually been studied. So, and Andrea, it's, it's, it's good that you brought that up because there are some pretty interesting studies. And I can't remember if this is, if your guys was the podcast that I mentioned this on, don't but think so. um, there's this, basically this, this, so there's germ theory, meaning that germs are actually, you know, semi good for us and that they're not necessarily harmful. Um, but then there's also this whole, barnyard hypothesis where they've actually studied this in pregnant women. So pregnant women who tend to farm animals and have a lot of animals that they care for during pregnancy, um, their children have almost no incidence of asthma, allergies, autoimmune and autism. Ooh. And part of that influence is from the diverse microbiome that they develop and that they then pass on to their baby during childbirth. Um, but also because their children also tend to grow up in those environments. So like you said, you grew up in sort of a rural environment. Um, your microbiome became very strong and healthy. And even if you were to take antibiotics, it probably wouldn't affect you as drastically as somebody who didn't accumulate the diversity that you did and had very limited exposure. So this is why we see two people. We, you could have a, a guy same age as you, same body weight, height, et cetera. Um, relatively same type of profession, but maybe he grew up in a totally different environment. His microbiome isn't as strong and he tends to have seasonal allergies and he tends to have more food sensitivities and he tends to have whatever chronic disease risk. 
um, a lot of it goes back to that first five years of life. And so I hate to say there's nothing you can do about it if you didn't get that diversity, because that's not necessarily true. Um, but it, there, it definitely sets you up for success. So like, I mean, anybody listening, if you haven't yet had kids, please keep this in mind. Like, don't hand sanitize everything in your home. Let your dog lick your baby's face. Don't wash off their binky when they drop it. Um, let them play in the mud, for God's sake. Let eat, your kids get dirty. Eat dirt. Um, like literally. <laughs> yes, eat let dirt. them put dirt and dog food in their mouth because it's really actually pretty good for them. <laughs> so. so basically when I, I, I like, I think we talked about this last time, the five second rule. I'm like a total like more than five second rule. Like if it's on the ground and it looks yeah. good, I'm eating it. And that right. like, piss people it off. It could have but... been there for a day, and if it kind of looks like it might still be fresh, just kind of blow it off and, and I give might, it a... I'll get healthier. Essentially, you're just affirming my like intuitive beliefs that like I'm not getting sick because I don't... Here's a great game you can play with your future kids is... Uh hide like Cheetos and gummies and other things in the couch and yeah, then let them find yeah. them later weeks later and see if they'll eat Well, them. I mean, my mom kicked us out the back door when I was a kid, pretty much from the time we got out of bed and was like, don't come back inside unless you have to go to the bathroom. I don't want to see you inside the house. This was like summertime, right? And That's my great. sister and I played in the dirt with Hot Wheels and whatever else, my brother too. Um, we were always outside. So something to be said for that. And that's just an N equals one, but that is stuff. I mean, there is research to back that up though. That's awesome. So I, <laughs> I love it because that, that just qualifies everything. Yes. I, I'm right. Everyone else is wrong. And like, I'll have all this game I play where it's like, like I'll eat that. And they'll be like, you wouldn't eat that. That's so gross. I'm like, I'll fucking eat it. Now you slipped. And never got sick. You slipped in one word that I'm sure perked up a few ears. Cause it's kind of gets contentious is you mentioned autism in there and how there's no incidence of it. Can you elaborate on anything along those lines? Because I know that there are the fucking nutballs that still think that vaccines have some sort of relationship there, but that one's been pretty much thoroughly debunked. And someone's going to be screaming, no, it's like vaccine injured, like fuck. That is definitely a kind of a touchy and controversial subject, depending on the circle that you're in. Um, I mean, yeah, vaccines causing autism, I think, has been laid to rest, but I understand there are some people who still are fairly invested in that theory and you know it's it's like politics or religion um but autism is a neurological inflammatory disorder so there is inflammation happening to certain parts of the brain and depending on the cause of it and so it's it's multifactorial so not everyone's autism is caused by the same thing that's important to understand but we do know that individuals with autism have different microbiomes. There are certain bacteria that they tend to have that drive inflammation and certain bacteria that they tend to be missing that create a calm and anti-inflammatory environment. Now, is the bacteria the cause? We don't really know. Like that hasn't been and, and probably never will be studied if you think about it. We can't take babies and try to induce autism in them through altering their microbiome. That would never be approved by or in, an institutional review board. So no. some of that goes beyond the ethical constraints of what research could actually do. All we can do is look at microbiomes and make you know comparisons. I don't think we'll ever have an RCT that will definitively answer that question just because of ethics. But um, interestingly, what a lot of people notice with autism parents of autistic children will often notice that when their child has an infection, like a virus or a bacterial infection, 
or they get a bunch of like bug bites in the summertime, like trigger bites, mosquito bites, et cetera, something kind of itchy and inflammatory. The autistic symptoms decrease in their child often. And what's happening there is the immune system that is destroying or causing inflammation in certain parts of the brain that cause those autistic symptoms is being redirected to the infection or the bug bites or whatever, you know, like whatever this other thing is. And so those autistic symptoms actually decrease because inflammation in that part of the brain is being sent somewhere else, if you want to think of it that way. So whether or not that's a cure, because it's obviously we're not going to give autistic children viruses to redirect their immune system so that they don't have autistic symptoms. But we do know that there is that immune involvement. And we do know that in certain... In certain people, and these are mostly just case studies, when they get like intestinal parasites, for instance, their autism or the symptoms of their autism seems to decrease because the body's immune system is so distracted by this parasite. Um, that's one example. Um, so there is microbiome involvement. We don't we don't know if it's a chicken or an egg, right? Is it does it cause autism or increase the risk of it? Or is it that because they have autism, we see this change in their microbiome? It's more likely to be the former, that the, that the microbiome has some involvement in it. But again, I don't know that we'll ever be able to answer that question. Well, that's beyond fascinating. It's the first I've heard of that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. And unfortunately, the type of people who gravitate to very strongly to these some of these conversations like to look for simple solutions and things to blame. And then, of course, you have people who make it their their, their sales platform and their ideology to perpetuate these sort of things. And again, with the, the vaccines. So hopefully more research gets done to at least shed some light onto it as best as possible. Absolutely. Well, yeah. I would say it's still in its infancy. Easily. Like, well, this whole yeah, conversation this whole... is still super in its uh, early stages. Even the fact that people are mentioning it means that it's going to start, I guess, making headway. I well, and I'll, and I'll make a slightly controversial statement yes. in that, um, if, and I know people want to have something or someone to blame. That's that's kind of human nature to find a reason. So, like, is it vaccines? Is it chemicals in our food? Is it, you know, whatever? We want to find blame for our child having a condition, right? We don't want to accept that it could be random chance or it could be something that's out of our control. Um, and this is, this is going to sound controversial, not sort of epidemiological studies that point to mom, not that it's mom's fault, but things that mom does or doesn't do during pregnancy carry immense weight and have a massive effect on that child. So I mentioned the Barnard hypothesis and that whole cleanliness and over sanitization. If mom is a neat freak, she's one of those moms that's like, everything has to be perfect. And this, you know, this pregnancy is the best pregnancy ever. And, and she's, she obsesses over the cleanliness of her food and, you know, organic and non-GMO and blah, blah, blah. Those things might be fine. But also think about how you limit your exposure. Like, you know, you don't go do things that get you dirty while you're pregnant. Um, like maybe she stops gardening and going out to petting zoos and those kind of things. Cause she's freaked out about germs that might play a role. And I know a lot of moms don't want to hear that, but what mom does during pregnancy has an immense effect on that baby's immune system. Yeah. I guess it's one of those things that hopefully we'll have a lot more information and, you know, future generation will be armed with that. It could be like, I could, I'm just looking at business opportunities, even like petting zoos for pregnant women. (laughs) (laughs) His expression on his face is just... Trademark that before somebody like, 
takes our idea for real. I'm gonna take it. I'm gonna get. It'll be like Noah's Ark. It'll be all the fucking animals that you could possibly be exposed to. Yeah. Like, just like covered. what if like a big swimming pool full of mud, but there's also like goats and sheep in it with you, and you're just kind of like mucking around with like. Honestly, like you. You could totally play and be like a charlatan, but you could be like, this is going to fix your gut microbiome. Just come and expose yourself <laughs> to all sorts of weird shit I see and tell you. them it's going to work. Just back it with like, like cherry pick science. Totally. Exactly. Go I can see these people. Who I think like, we have a winner. Yeah. These people who literally have sex with the earth and the yeah. earthers and all these crazy fuckers. They'll be all about this shit. If you shit. put science to it and just cherry pick some research, <laughs> it, fuck, process, it fucking works. Just it, trust the process. People okay. are making money off things worse than that. We definitely need to ask her the next question. <laughs> you recently made a Facebook post uh, and you said people with hypertension would rather take a pill or drink a tea than exercise. So what's wrong with this attitude and what will people benefit the most from? Yeah, I shared a study that, that came out recently that looked at um, people who had been diagnosed with hypertension and it was sort of one of those longitudinal studies where they looked at... Um, you know, a control group and, and things like that, or they, they rated what they were most likely to do for their hypertension. And then overwhelmingly, people stated they were more likely to take a pill that would treat hypertension or drink a tea than go exercise. Despite the fact that exercise has been hands down, repeatedly shown to be probably one of, if not the most effective means of controlling blood pressure, um, as well as immense other physical health benefits. Um, I, I mean, you guys work in the fitness industry and I'm sure that you see this a lot is that the people who gravitate towards you, who are going to hire you as clients already get it, right? They get it that exercise is important. They have a physical goal or an aesthetic goal they want to attain. And so you don't have, you don't have to go convince somebody who doesn't want to exercise to hire you, Right. So you have this nice group of people who have already self-selected for, I want to hire somebody to train me. Whereas the vast majority of the population is not like that. Um, it's, it's why one of the reasons why we have an obesity crisis is we want things that are convenient and quick. Um, and exercise is work. It's effort. You know, it, it takes showing up to the gym or to the track or going into your basement with your weights or whatever your chosen form of exercise is, um, it's time you set aside for it, right? You dedicate that time to this activity and it's something that you put effort into. It's physically uncomfortable, right? Um, and we don't do those things in life. We try to avoid things that make us uncomfortable and we, we have we have a drive-through for everything with Amazon Prime, which I'm 100% guilty. <laughs> I love Amazon Prime. Uh, we, I think Jay's post about our Alexa this week is, is proof Sorry. of, just how absolutely late. I, I ordered a glass measuring cup from my alarm clock. So um, that just solidifies my laziness. But, you know, what? It, we're, we're, is, it was your phone. It might cut out. Do we got you? She's stuck. Hang this on. My, there. Now you're good. Now so you're I think what's I think what's happening is I think maybe the video is just chewing up bandwidth and it's making the audio slow. So. I don't think so. No? It might be. It might be my internet. I don't know. That's possible too. So we'll see anyway, but please go on. Alexa. Yeah. And I mean, I, I mean like you, like I said, you guys see that enough probably with your own clients and, and just interacting Whoa. with people. And I, I'm sure you've worked at a commercial gym at some point in your career oh, yes. or at least trained that bunch of them. Um, you see 
you know, the people who walk in the door, it's it's really fucking hard to just walk in the door of a gym, right? So you get the courage to go in there and go, look, I'm not in shape and okay, I'm going to start somewhere. But that's the, that's a minority, right? That's not most people. Um, I mean, I have clients that I have to send them a daily reminder, please walk for five minutes. Like you're doing no walking right now, just start five minutes. Five minutes isn't going to impact anything, but maybe tomorrow that five minutes becomes six. And by the end of the month, it's 10. You know, it's some people need that gradual, but taking a pill or drinking a tea takes very little time or effort, right? Well, just, I think that society in general is, what do they call it, limbic driven. So it's mm-hmm. easy to just not do the hard stuff because your body, it's basically we have a whole life full of instant gratification. So it's right. easy to do all the easy stuff that makes you feel happy, like reach for this mm-hmm. food, go buy this thing, don't walk up these stairs. Like there's so many things you can apply to and everyone does it without thinking. And I think those tips that you're telling people or the things that we do is kind of to make people self-aware of when they're doing those things and more or less do the opposite, not for everything, but like start not gratifying yourself on everything instantly because that's not the way to change really one of the books i read recently gets into like dopamine and and the the limbic system and all that sort of base urge type behavior but the evolutionary stuff that drives us to do what we do and you're right that stuff is hardwired into us and it drives a lot of there's a lot of outdated evolutionary mechanisms for energy efficiency to maximize calorie consumption in where our ancestors didn't know where literally the next fucking meal came from. Nowadays, we we go to the fridge and it's full of ice cream that our ancestors 10,000 years ago and beyond didn't have that. So it's, it's actually fucking up a lot of our society. Whereas the answer to that, well, we have to change attitudes and we, it is important that we, yeah, we understand individually and as a society that we were engineered for lack of a better term, for a very different way of life. And we are going right. in a direction of uh, more technology, more convenience. We are going to have self-driving cars. We are, you know, right. you you ask for something, more stuff is going to get delivered to our homes. We are not going to be going out to physical stores anywhere near as much. And Amazon and Google and these companies are driving those sort of things. And this is only sure. going to down-regulate our, our meat or, or the amount we actually do in life as things get more convenient. So we actually have to find ways to supplement that. And exercise is still probably one of the best systems we have. So there's, yeah, you said there's there's the self-selectors, the people who already get this and enjoy it. But holy shit, we do have to find a way to crack through the rest it's, of it. It's basically up to us to pull people out of the matrix. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm a perfect example. Um, I recently put myself on a diet um, because... I had sort of over the last year and a half kind of gone on maybe two years or so gone on this mission to gain some muscle. Um, and I did, and I was happy with that. And then I sort of hit a plateau where I think I kind of reached the point where I wasn't going to gain any more right now, but I continued to eat as if I was trying to gain muscle and I'm relatively sedentary. So if you, if you think about it, um, I work out four to five days a week for maybe 90 minutes, but the rest of the time I'm sitting. I have a completely sedentary job. I sit in front of a computer and and do stuff, and I really don't move around a lot, Um, especially over the wintertime because there's not really a lot to do. So I'm fairly sedentary, and I was treating myself as if I'm some athlete, and I'm still active. I mean, when I used to own a gym, I was up moving around and training people and demonstrating moving equipment. I was constantly moving. And I go from that to sitting, literally sitting all day long. Um, and so I like, you know, 
this was really just in the last five days, woke up and was like, oh my God, you know, this is body fat. And like, I'm not calling myself fat, but I'm carrying excess body fat. And so, and this is where, I don't want to get into a fat shaming conversation, but we also need to be really honest and realistic with ourselves. Excess weight, whether it's fat or muscle, is still excess weight. And this is something Jay and I talk about a lot. I mean, he, you guys have seen, like, recently, he lost some body fat. And Jay, um, yeah. Jay was, like, 300 pounds. Well, I don't know if he's that. Was he that? He was big when he was powerlifting at his peak. Yeah. Right, right. And he's a tall guy. Yeah. He can carry some extra weight. But it definitely impacts his blood pressure. Like, that's something that he keeps an eye on. And that's for everybody. Like, excess tissue has to have blood supply to it. It's more work for your heart and your kidneys, bottom line. It doesn't matter if it's fat or muscle. Um, so there's a limit to what's healthy and what's not healthy. And um, so I had to take a PT test. I had, um, I had my reserve weekend this weekend with the Air Force. I had to take a PT test Sunday. And um, I you know, was running around the track, which we only have to run a mile and a half, but I'm going to tell you 167 pounds running around the track six times, moving that 167 pounds was fucking terrible. <laughs> um, compared to like moving 145 to 150, which is what my kind of previous normal weight was. I was like, this sucks. So that's, you know, my story and, and I've pulled back my calories. I've started moving more. I actually started doing some cardio, like walking and things. Um, and I've lost probably like three to four pounds in the last like week, roughly. But um, to that point, we probably need to be a little more realistic too. Just in general, people need to be realistic about how much we just are not active uh, because sense. of this convenience. That makes a ton of sense. Actually, there's two things I thought of in there. And the first thing is you know, recognizing early on, yeah, okay, you know, I am getting a little bit of body fat. And, and I, I agree with you, that's not fat shaming. And anyone who jumps very aggressively on that sort of thing, they, those people need to fuck off. And, right. and they're, they're not helping at all, right? That, I, yeah. I, I, that, dri that narrative drives me fucking crazy. But recognizing quickly and early, hey, you know, okay, I'm trending this direction. I'm going to do something about this. I think that's incredibly healthy. I think that's very positive. And if that's what you want to do, you want to take care of your health and, and it's okay to have aesthetic goals and to care about that, that is perfectly fine. Uh, it, you know, don't project that stuff on other people and, and make them feel negative about it. But for you personally, it's fine. And I think it's really important to catch it before it does. Because how many people, you know, let it go, let it go, don't realize. And all of a sudden, then they've got a really dig, uh, big hole to dig themselves out from under. Right. So. I'd rather lose, I'd rather have to lose 10 pounds yeah. than 60. Yeah. So, you know. And with all our wiring now, like we talked about earlier, it's not that hard to gain 60. Well, and it's, <clears throat> I think a good point too, we're talking about wiring and, and self-gratification. If you start the process, it's like anything, we talk about habits, blah, 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 blah. But if you start almost doing the opposite and starting to go to that uncomfortable, that becomes, I guess, a new, not a new limbic system, but something you can fall back on and do more and more and more of. And then you just automatically do it. Cause if you change, like you went from a gym to not a gym and that fucking changed everything. If you went back to right. it, you'd create those habits again. And it's just kind of knowing that you're going to lose those habits and to make new ones. Good. Yeah. Uh, let's actually, let's talk about, we're going to talk about wheat gluten. Cause I think we talked about it last time and then Jay kind of talked forever. We didn't have any time. So I actually, <laughs> how can it be problematic? How can we kind of, answer or clarify the confusion surrounding weak gluten how could it be problematic and what are some nutritional topics being explored that still remain clouded by the mainstream and, and information that's out there right now 
Yeah. So last time I talked and I, and I kind of introduced the concept of, um, you know, we think of, we think of gluten sensitivity as this has no risk for celiac. That's the way that the majority of people who, who don't really understand that concept are looking at it, that if you're gluten sensitive, you're not going to become celiac. And my argument is the test that we run at Vibrant, we clearly see that many of these people are actually probably pre-celiac and that gluten sensitivity is probably not the right term for them. It's, it, we probably need to define what pre-celiac is. Um, but then, yes, yeah, certainly there are people who have a gluten sensitivity that are not going to become celiac. They don't carry any of the genes. And for what, you know, there's not the right environmental things in place that could trigger that into full-blown celiac. So gluten, it's this, it's such a, it's a polarizing topic because I realize a lot of people are still in that camp of like, no, gluten sensitivity is bullshit. You're either celiac or you're not. So again, that's, I mean, the argument is maybe some of these people are developing celiac and just because they haven't yet had elevated enough antibodies, they can't quite be diagnosed with it, but they're heading in that direction. So I want to end that conversation definitively and say, you know, unless your blood yourself and you're looking at your trending antibodies, you really can't say that this person is, is, or is not heading towards celiac. Um, but furthermore, so gluten, I know there are quite a few people in sort of the functional and integrative nutrition and medicine world that run around and say things like everybody's gluten sensitive and we should all be eliminating it and it's terrible for us. It's the devil. Um, there's some decent studies that actually do look at gluten and there's what's actually the problem in gluten for most people is gliadin. Gliadin is actually a peptide that is cleaved from gluten when it's digested. Um, so gliadin is what binds to the intestinal cell receptors and triggers celiac-like reactions and autoimmune things. So gliadin is the portion of gluten that's the problem um, for the vast majority of people. So gliadin actually does bind to certain receptors on our intestinal cells and cause the cell junctions. Like, like think about your cells like bricks, right? There's mortar in between the bricks and gliadin can bind and sort of open up that junction in between so the mortar sort of dissolves or disappears if you want to think of it that way and so now there's this gate open where things can free flow from inside the intestines into the body like the circulatory system um that's what people on the internet you hear the term leaky gut syndrome that's what people are describing is this sort of flow of of things right and it could be anything from like undigested food particles to bacteria bacterial endotoxin um whatever has come along with your food, maybe it's pesticide, maybe it's things that normally under certain circumstances would not be a problem. When we increase that permeability, permeability <clears throat> is, the, is the word for it, we get this flow of stuff going from the inside of the intestinal tract into the body unchecked. Normally those things wouldn't have access to circulation and they wouldn't be a problem. So like the word toxins and pesticides, under normal circumstances, they're not a problem. We pass them through the digestive tract um, relatively unharmed by them. But when we have this permeability, so in some individuals, gliadin has this action of increasing that permeability significantly. And in others, it doesn't. So this is the thing, again, is, is testing this is, is possible, and we do look at that, but to say that it's a problem for everyone, we really can't say that. Um, it's, and then we did get into the discussion last time, the FODMAP question, I think one of you yep. guys asked. Yeah, I is it, that up. Yeah, and, and that was a great question. So when I, I kind of brought up the thing about 
if you eliminate high FODMAP foods and you feel better, it's a FODMAP intolerance is really bacterial dysbiosis nine times out of 10. It's something called SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And you're fermenting carbohydrates in the wrong place by bacteria that don't belong there is essentially what that is. So yes, gluten is a FODMAP, um, but it's not the only one. And a lot of people do feel better when they go on a low FODMAP diet or they eliminate gluten. And it's, it's really hard to say without looking at actual blood tests or stool test of the microbiome. Is it truly a gluten sensitivity? Is it a FODMAP intolerance? Um, could it be something else altogether? Cause there's wheat sensitivity, you know, uh, gluten is found primarily in wheat, but rye and barley also contain it. We just don't eat a lot of rye and barley. They're not that common in the Western diet anymore. So 99% of the gluten we're consuming is from wheat. Um, there's all these theories surrounding, well, maybe our wheat is jacked up, right? Like we've genetically modified it. We've crossbred it. It's got so much more protein than it used to have. There's all these other things about wheat. It has more gluten in it than it used to have. Um, there's all these sort of anecdotal stories. People will say, well, when I go to Europe and I eat wheat, it doesn't give me problems. Okay, well, maybe it's just the wheat in the U.S. I, you know, and we don't know. Again, nobody's really looking... I haven't really seen any good studies that have looked at stuff that's in the wheat. And then there's the whole glyphosate conversation. There's this theory that maybe because we use glyphosate on our crops here, that's what people are reacting to, or maybe that increases the reactivity for them for gluten. <coughs> but we don't know because it hasn't been studied. Um, but people, that would be an interesting study. We could trigger people by saying that gly uh, glyphosate is uh, one of those Monsanto products. And I know there's going to yeah. be one person listing, ah, fuck Monsanto. It's Monsanto, I saw <laughs> it on Netflix. Make sure you tag that so that, you know, it'll come up. You'll get a bunch of hits on this podcast. They're going to, sh they'll shut us down. Uh, and we're, no, they like... won't. No, they won't. <laughs> if, if you want to listen to something really interesting, an author I really like, he's very in intelligent, but he's a complete fucking lunatic with this stuff. He's a guy named uh, Nassim Taleb and... Nassim mm -hmm. writes some really good stuff, but holy shit, is he ever an anti-Monsanto zealot, and he is completely nuts about this stuff. So I just discarded that particular side of it. and uh, yeah, just They, they run ideas. the world. <laughs> so much stuff in here that's going to get people going. I mean, we'll just title the podcast like Vaccines and Monsanto, and holy shit. No. We're just going to do that and then hit them with the gut biome and then some actual knowledge. Just get them in, yeah. and then you can tell them what's actually up. Oh, that's not... This is complete clickbait. Yeah. Uh, what, I'll, what I'll say about this is, guys, if you, and again, we always at the end tell people, go and follow the people we bring on. We don't just randomly bring a bunch of idiots onto the show. We bring people who are quite brilliant and we want you guys to find out about. So go follow Sarah, especially if you're really interested in this stuff. Uh, interact with her, send her messages. Like, you know, she might very well be able to help you if you are struggling with some of this stuff because there's a lot of nuance and depth to this that it goes beyond you know, my specialty and, and knowledge base with when it comes to nutrition. So I, I know a lot of people who just have tried everything and they're struggling to find answers. And some of the answers may lay within here. I had a, like, a, this, this is actually a random question. I was at the FRC, what do you fucking call it? Clinic, I don't know. It was in Phoenix at Exos. But anyway, Spina was talking about gut biome and I guess mechanical receptors changing cellular growth and all this shit. But he was basically alluding to the fact that breath and the dropping your diaphragm and hitting your organs, if you have better breath, you it can almost correlate with, and he probably just made that shit up. But is there some, <laughs> is there something to be said about, I guess, operating better physiologically and your gut biome kind of being better with breathing and all that yeah. shit? Yeah. 
That's actually a really good question. Um, and it's, it's an underappreciated yeah. topic. Um, but so what you're talking about with drop the diaphragm, yeah. partially you're, you're looking at vagal nerve innervation. So your, your vagus nerve is one of those central nervous system nerves that comes off of the, the brainstem, right? And yeah. it's the only one that runs to the peripheral body. The rest of them remain in the head or the skull. Yeah. Um, and the vagus nerve innervates all of your internal organs. So it's responsible for your sympathetic, sympathetic, parasympathetic response, like rest and digest or fight or flight. Yeah. Okay. So when you are presented with a threat and you need to run away very quickly or fight, that's that evolutionary thing that we've carried over of either I'm going to stand my ground or holy shit, this is a fucking saber tooth and I need to get out of here. Yeah. Okay. So in a fight or flight situation, the vagus nerve tells all of the uh, blood vessels, et cetera, to constrict to yeah. the gut and the internal organs and redirects blood flow and oxygen to the muscles and the heart gotcha. and the lungs. Yeah. Okay. Under rest and digest, the vagus nerve sends that from the muscles, not necessarily all of it from the heart and lungs, but it, it largely takes a lot of it away from the muscles back to the digestive organs because mm -hmm. we know that we need to absorb <laughs> nutrients from the gut. So we need enhanced circulation there so that we can pull all of these, you know, amino acids and carbohydrates and lipids and vitamins, et cetera, in from what we've just eaten. So the vagus nerve, um, if you think about it this way, this is sort of a theory I have. And there's, I've seen a few I like this. not so great studies on this. But this is sort of a theory I have that because we're so sedentary, we sit a lot. Vagus nerve function is sort of depressed, especially because if you think about it, we like hunch over. Yeah. We sit, we're, we're compressing everything in the abdominal cavity. And so blood flow is not as optimal. Um, our breathing is restricted because we don't get that diaphragm drop. You're exactly yeah. right about that. Um, so blood flow to the gut is impacted by that. A lot of times just by standing more and taking deep diaphragmatic breaths, people can actually enhance digestive motility, like the flow of things through the gut. Yeah. Um, but so that's, that's a theory that I have, but I also something to consider too, is that it enhances lymphatic flow. Yeah. So the lymph system is your other system and it's not as well understood by a lot of medical practitioners. And, and to be honest, I think a lot of people don't understand it well because it's not very well studied, but the lymphatic system is what carries your white blood cells. So your, the majority of your immune function outside the gut. And it's this kind of milky white substance that is circulated throughout the body. The lymph nodes are where that accumulates. Um, a lot of your lymphatic function comes from the gut because your immune cells are constantly interfacing with everything in the gut, the, the microbiome and the things that you're eating. And again, we suppress lymph flow. Lymph flow doesn't have um, contractions. What pumps lymph throughout the body is movement and contraction of muscles, like skeletal muscles. Um, as well as breath, so the diaphragm. So there's no, so there's no heart pumping the lymphatic system. It is purely gravity and movement of the body. And if you're very sedentary, your lymphatic flow is typically not very optimal. Um, again, sitting down and compressing the internal organs, your lymphatic flow is not great. I know I saw you just sit up straighter, like all well, of a sudden, like. And, yeah. and, and the reason why I ask is because like Anthony and I, my business partner, we we just talk about the shit. And essentially, a lot of the stuff we've been doing has let's just say got people to align their thorax pelvis, but more or less they're breathing properly. And yeah. physiologically, shit's just getting better and we're not doing yeah. anything. But other health factors we would assume and theorize are getting better. And the gut microbiome was where it's all started. If you're fucking hitting that thing and it's trying to make change for the better, 
um, you're going to be in a better position than people who don't, like you said, sedentary, um, extended, fucking flared out ribs, blah, 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 blah. But mm-hmm. you could almost create those connections. And I don't, I just didn't know how highly studied it was. We just kind of thought it and kind of heard a bunch of things and were like, yeah, that's probably right. But if you follow, it's still a theory, yeah. but if you follow Dean's Instagram, Guido Power, right, or whatever, yeah. um, you should follow it because, or and anyone in the audience, because all he does is post memes about breathing stuff but, and Batman. But it's that polyvagal theory. Basically, if you're Spider-Man's in sympathetical. Spider-Man's good and Batman is shit, right? Which yeah. drives Jade nuts, I think, so. Yeah. But if you're in sympathetic all the time, like, let's just say, we'll just talk about the gut, but if you're in sympathetic all the fucking time, that ain't right. operating. We're not even talking about all the other shit that doesn't fucking work. But, like, yeah, it's interesting. Well, and I'm glad that you thought that. Actually, that's something I have a conversation about my own clients. Overwhelmingly, I work with a lot of women. Um, women tend to be the ones to seek help for digestive problems or weight loss or things like that. And um, by the time they get to about 35 to 40, they have this massive sympathetic dominant state that they're in because they're so fucking stressed, right? If you think about it, they've been through college, at least one marriage. They've had at least one kid, um, changed jobs a couple of times. They have bills. They have all this stress in their life, right? And there's all this massive media pressure to look perfect and 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 add in all that psychological stuff. And they don't handle it, right? They don't take care of it. They don't take care of themselves. And their body constantly in this over pathetic state. Um, they're chugging coffee to wake up. They're drinking wine to go to bed. There, there's no balance, yeah. right? And absolutely, it imp- starts to impact the adrenals, starts to impact the pituitary and the reproductive hormones, estrogen and progesterone. Um, and they're, then they're a mess and it takes years to fix them. Well, and, and maybe you can answer this. Is there, and I, I just, cause I don't fucking know. Is there, if your gut biome and, and we'll just talk about this in general, if your gut health is operating better, are those people more willing to make a mental change in your experience or anything that you've read? Because cause we'll just say that basically their parasympathetic system is working better, but does, has that correlated to them making better changes mentally? Because um, of fixing that shit? Yeah. When you see what you're talking about is kind of the gut brain connection. Yeah. And, and that's a pretty hot topic right now. There's quite a lot of research in that field on the, it's, it's bi-directional. So what happens in the gut tends to affect the brain, not just psychologically. So like people with IBS tend to have higher rates of depression or anxiety. And part of it is just, it impacts their quality of life, right? They're scared to eat a lot of different foods. Uh, they have to constantly go to the bathroom, whatever it is that impacts their life. But then psychologically, that impacts the gut. Um, so if you're if you're one of those people that has ever, if you feel stress in your gut, like if something super stressful happens and all of a sudden your gut clenches up and you're like, oh my God, you know, and you can't eat or something like that, that's a gut-brain connection too. So the lymphatic system is part of that, um, that interaction, but then there's all these nerves that also have these sort of adrenergic receptors that go back and forth and serotonergic responses. So serotonin is your predominant neurotransmitter outside of the brain um and and a lot of the serotonin we produce serotonin outside the brain it doesn't actually cross into the brain barrier but it has um sort of like either calming or stimulatory effects depending on if you have too much or too little of it and yes there's the the status of the microbiome can certainly impact somebody's ability to respond to stress. So if you have a pretty solid microbiome and the gut is healthy and you don't have diarrhea or constipation, bowel movements are normal. And that detox mechanism of stool, which what that is, it's, it's a detox mechanism. Basically. If that's functioning properly, 
you're less likely to accumulate certain things that can sort of like bog you down, make you feel a little bit more stressed. They make more work for your liver. You tend to be a little bit happier or less stressed out or handle stress better. That's observational on my part. Like I said, a lot of the research into the microbiome specifically is kind of observational at this point. And so we haven't looked at like if we change the person's microbiome significantly, do they not have depression anymore? Like some of that is starting to happen, some of that research. Um, but yeah, it's, I think that also what we have to realize though is people have to, people have to feel like what's happening is so unacceptable to them before they'll change. And this goes back to weight loss. This goes back to, you know, diet change, health, whatever it is. What's going on with you right now has to be so unacceptable to you that you're willing to make sacrifices to change it and get there. I like that quote. People have to feel it's unacceptable. Basically, we'll just say not rock bottom, but that's a nice, that's a generalized way for saying you're self fucking aware. (laughs) You have to be able to look at yourself and go, okay, this is disgusting to me, whether it's, you know, your body or your health or, or some habit or whatever it is. And, and I know that that sounds very judgy, but that's no. essentially what's happening in your head. That's, that's what causes that person to pick up the phone and call you guys and say, I need you to help me. I need to train. I need programming. I need whatever it is that they want from you. Yeah. Uh, they're fed up with whatever's going on. And you have to reach that point on your own. Like nobody can, I mean, that's why things like fat shaming don't work or fit shaming or whatever it is. You can't make somebody reach that point. You can make them feel bad about where they're at. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to change. They have to decide whatever is going on with me right now is not okay with me. And I'm basically, I'm gonna make them fucking breathe. <laughs> sure. no, sure. She's gonna she's That'd gonna fix part. she's gonna fix microbiome. You're gonna get people breathing. I'll make them strong. We'll be fine. Yeah. Um, something else that I wanted to ask you about too is because I just saw you recently post that you completed your master's of business administration as if you don't have enough education already Uh, so and I just saw an email um, it was Dean Somerset and writes his blog how fitness professionals can not suck at business Uh, (laughs) so you you've got this focus on business I actually hold a bachelor of commerce myself from a past life so why did you why did you choose to add formal business education uh, to what's already a pretty impressive resume uh, and just how do your clients benefit from this and how do you feel we can in our industry help our clients to greater success when we actually are better at the business side of stuff? Yeah. So to answer the first part of the question, the reason why I got it after originally didn't have anything to do with helping my clients. Um, it was so I could change jobs in the air force reserve. Um, I was trying to go from one medical corps to another medical corps and the masters I already have was too clinical and I had to have something more administrative. And so I was like, okay, well, you know, I'll just get an MBA and do that. Um, so that was originally the only reason why I did it. But however, I did find that it came in incredibly handy. Um, I kind of moved into a new role with Vibrant, um, um, less of a clinical, more of a, a education and training and marketing role, um, which I love. And, but in my personal business, I, I definitely have a passion for entrepreneurship. So even though I have a full-time job, I will always tinker around with businesses, right? I'll always kind of have a, a little bit of a private practice. Um, I've owned businesses before and I, and again, you know, my husband's getting ready to open one, um, which I'll probably be involved in to some extent. 
I love helping people start businesses. I think it's incredibly important that you pursue your passion. If you, if you have something, you know, like let's say you guys want to go open that mud bath with farm animals we do. idea. We do. do you does. know, there's he a, does. there's a market, you know, for everything if, if you do it right. And I, it's in Japan. I love it's in, it's in, it's China. Which one does which, all the weird shit? Why don't you call Andy Morgan and talk yeah. to him about barnyard animals in Japan? It's, it's Japan. That's where they do all the crazy shit. Sorry to block you off, but that's where that lives. Okay. For sure. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. I mean, they have like cat cafes and Fox yeah. Island and I mean like that, it would take off there. Yeah. So to that point, what I think that it did, it kind of reminded me of some of the concepts that I was really, really involved and passionate with as a small business owner originally was that. Um, culture, the, the culture that you create, whether it's in an online business or a physical business, and I would argue that in a physical business, brick and mortar, it is even more important um, because it's it's hard to pick up on culture online or via distance. But the culture you create in your business and the service that you deliver are probably the two most important aspects. Um, so like if, if you are a fit pro, it's what you put forth into the world. It's the perception that people have of you and the service that you give them and how kind and understanding and empathetic you are to them that is going to bring them back and get them to refer people to you. And um, not to go off on a tangent, but that sort of brings up one of the things that I'm sure you guys have noticed Jay and I have talked about before in, in the fitness and health industry. There's a lot of bullshit. There's a lot of, <laughs> yeah. there's a lot of trainers that are, that are constantly like their marketing plan must solely consist of tearing other people down. You know, yeah. um, and there's there's a really good quote by a guy named Jim Rohn, who's a famous business coach or, or business consultant. And he said, if you want to build the tallest building in the world, there are two ways to do it. You can build the tallest building in the world or you can build a small building and, and building down. Oh, no, you got to say that again. You right. <laughs> so you got to say it again right as the kick line came in. It's up. So the small you build a small building and then what? So you can build the tallest building in the world, or you can build a small building and then tear everyone else's tall building down. Yeah. Well, Jay is just virulent against anything that is just putting out there some of the negative stuff or the bad people or oh, whatever. He is he just he, he reacts explosively to that sort of stuff. And we have people in our industry and I think are very, very good, well intentioned people who still do attack some of the bad guys and you know right. I, I try not to too much and i walk a fine line but i know jay is just he's focused on what he's doing but then he'll go off on, on the shit that he sees like that you know so what? i love i'll, I'll argue this okay so if you look at the people in this industry that are incredibly successful that are doing what they love and they're making good money at it mm -hmm. and maybe money is not their definition of success maybe it's just doing their own thing and having some freedom whatever their definition of success is they are not online in Facebook groups or on somebody's status, arguing and tearing other people down and, mm -hmm. oh my God, look at Cybabe or, oh my God, David Wolf Avocado said this and ganging up and, and, you know, that kind of shit. First of all, you're giving that person clicks and exposure and it just makes their online ratings go up. The more you share their shit and tear them apart and, and talk shit on them, whatever, you know, fine, do what you want to do. But if you spent like, look at some of those threads, right? And and the amount of time that those threads go on or in those Facebook groups for like fit pros, um, hours, <laughs> hours a day that they're on there. And like, how the fuck do you get anything done? I know that I could not possibly run business successfully and profitably spending three to five hours a day arguing on Facebook. There's just no way. And I would argue that many of those folks probably don't have 
much of a business. Um, but they're certainly they certainly don't love what they do if that's their if that's the way they're spending their time. And it's a very negative thing to put out into the world. I mean, there's quite a few of them that I've either unfollowed or unfriended, and I don't want anything to do with them because. You know, I don't want to be associated with somebody who's, again, their marketing plan consists of talking shit on other people. Like that's not, that in my opinion is never a successful strategy. No, and I, the more and more time I spend in this industry, the the less and less time I spend energy. I mean, I'm not perfect. I don't think many of us are, but. Uh, Certainly not either, right? I used to do it and I realized how futile it is. Yeah, and, and that's exactly it too. And I think, was it Mike Dola just put up a post recently too of something to that effect? Uh, I know that you guys are really close with him and he's a really awesome dude. Uh, it's something to that effect about just, I don't think anyone has ever sold a program or you know gained a client talking crap about some, some product or ideology out there. And it makes a ton of sense. Right, you don't, you don't <laughs> sell your product or service um, as it's, it's better than, or you don't, you don't say product A is not as shitty as product B. You say <laughs> product A has these features, you know. It's kind of like in the elections in the U.S. I know you guys are up in Canada, so so luckily you didn't have to deal with the... Oh, we got our own shit up here, but I'm not going to do that. I'm sure you do, but, um, you know, when people argued, um, you know, they argued in support of either Trump or Hillary based on the fact that the other one was a, was a complete turd, you're... <laughs> You're trying to you're trying to sell the shiniest turd is what you're doing in that situation and and I just that's like I said it's never a marketing strategy you want to use and and so from a business standpoint I I don't understand that but maybe it's just immaturity it's they good. seem to be it seems to be a lot of younger people it's good for their immune system uh, to be exposed to turds though is what we're saying yeah, yeah. and you guys had two <laughs> gloriously shiny turds greatest immune that's all I'll system, say about that greatest country the greatest immune system just having turds everywhere. <laughs> If if your microbiome is so hot that you have shiny turds, I mean, fucking right, right. <laughs> okay, sorry. I just figured I'd just tie that all into microbiome. That's now. fantastic. Okay, so let's uh, let's one more business question. I like this one. Uh, I've been reading a lot about uh, disruption of businesses. Um, a lot of books about this stuff, like how things are changing. I'm sort of fascinated with this stuff. How new technologies will play a role in our industry. New ways of thinking will lead to changes. Um, you can think about stuff like, you know, the proliferation of services like Uber and Airbnb where they actually don't physically yeah. own anything. I think the, the first industry to get disrupted on a massive scale was music downloading, file sharing, because that yeah. industry has changed a ton. Kodak doesn't exist right. anymore because they didn't get on board with digital photography quickly. What do you feel leads, yeah, what do you feel leads companies and people to falter in the face of rapidly changing business ideas and models? And what should fitness customers be aware of in the future of fitness business? Oh, man. So so something I think that could prevent a company from adapting. Adaptation is critical in the business world, obviously. And technology changes rapidly. And because now everything is technology driven, it doesn't matter what industry you're in, you have to deal with technology. It's just, it's something you have to accept. Um, it's unavoidable. If you are not ready to at least accept that technology needs to play a role. So like, you know, having a website, okay, everybody should at least have a website now and every business should maybe have a Facebook page or some sort of social media where people can find them um, at a minimum. But if you're not driving e-commerce, like if people can't purchase from you online or get in contact with you, let's, let's say you run a service business, have a way to contact you online. 
Um, you know, those are huge. Those, those are little things. But then just the failure to adapt. And there's going to be major trends that everyone is going to have to adapt to. So being on the internet was a huge one, right? Back in the early 90s, all of a sudden, the internet blew up. And we went from like those shitty little GeoCity pages to like, um, you know, something a little bit better. It still had like neon cats in the background. But then we started morphing into these great little like do-it-yourself WordPress.org things that look really smooth and they're functional and dynamic. Um, being able to do small things like that are, are, is really critical, but then also engaging people through digital is what's also going to be critical, especially if you're a, um, a business to consumer type of organization. If, if you need people in the general public to purchase from you, you need to be using app technology. People are glued to their phones and that is not going to stop. Um, you know, we've now seen that smartphones have sort of become this integral part. Like if, if you leave your house without it, you panic, right? You like all of a sudden you're like, holy shit, how am I going to get a hold of the outside world? How am I going to know what time it is? How Like it, it does everything for you now. So if you're not reaching people through that device that their face is constantly glued to, you're probably doing it wrong. You need to reconsider, you know, how, how you're reaching customers. And I would even argue that social media advertising is probably going to become less and less important as people like original content. So now it's going back to blogs and blog content, supposedly, and YouTube. Um, and that, you know, getting the customer to share and bring people in versus paying for advertising because the algorithms on Facebook change so much. Oh, and you piss away hundreds of dollars, right? And it's so difficult to figure it out. There's people seem to strike gold. But other than that, if you're not offering an incredible customer service experience, you're, you're going to get one-time customers and never see them again. Um, so there also has to be that human element, I think. And that's something that a lot of these online businesses are not quite picking up on is um, you need to be able to talk. People still want to talk to a person. People still want to hear somebody's voice. They still want to be able to know that somebody cares and they're going to solve their problem. And as a business, doesn't matter what industry you're in, you need to offer that, you know, to some extent. But adaptation, I think, is embracing the fact that you're going to have to get apps created. You're going to have to, you know, touch people's lives through the Internet um, and use the power of video and digital, um, you know, little shiny little graphics, that type of stuff. People like shiny keys. It works. Um, you gotta, we're, we're trying. Are you trying to tell us we need to get video? You know what's funny too? So now that you're listening to this, um, the video is not going to work for this one. Okay. But it'll work for the next one. So you're not, <laughs> you would have been great because we had to have a pretty face for our first video podcast. Now we're going to have mm. Nick Sorrell. But yeah. Damn it. Yeah, we're going to have Nick Sorrell. But that's where I, I agree. I think that you meet people where they're at. And honestly, it goes back to the uncomfortable factor, but it's just more work to do all that shit. But we need to do it. And I think that goes for a lot of people. They need mm -hmm. to do that shit because it works. Yeah. And meet people there. Shiny graphics are awesome too. I don't think, and it goes to what you're saying, Sarah. I don't think offering quality service and actually genuinely caring about people will ever change or go out of style. No. Um, we are going to see some pretty interesting things change our universe with technology. Again, I've just been reading a book that's goes into all this sort of stuff and it talks about virtual reality and, and AIs. And I think actually AIs, having personal AIs is going to be something that we will see in our industry in the not too distant future. And that's something that's going to be collecting a lot of information for us, probably doing all of our logging, recording, uh, video, the whole thing. And so we could actually be a little freer to just really focus on the clientele as we collect even more information and analyze that stuff. But I actually think that's going to be a reality in our world too, for the people who still work 
directly one-on-one -on -one with clients. And yeah. uh, just to say about you and Jay, like something that if anybody has ever been around you guys or, or has listened to you at all, you can tell that the two of you guys actually pour passion into what you're doing. You love what you do. It's why you guys are doing so You well. are the human element and Jay definitely is himself. So that's, <laughs> I think that's well, a big thing too, is that like literally, and you know what? People can't always see people's true self and that's kind of why shitty people make a lot of money, but it's much easier as an individual to just do you. And then just cater to the people that are going to like you for what the fuck you're doing. Well, and that makes an excellent point. And that's, that's literally something I told Jay just a couple days ago. You know, he was, he was obviously real nervous starting a business because it's a big risk. Yep. Um, and when you said, you know, the, the human element and, and be who you are, he is a great example of somebody who's transparent, right? Like when, when you meet him, what you see is who he is. And for the most part online, same thing. Like he doesn't <laughs> yeah. have this, this, elaborate online personality that he's not in person, which the majority of people do. If you think about it, the, the person that they are online is sort of this made up who they wish they could be. Um, but he's not, he's this guy who's, who's completely transparent. He's a great guy. I mean, you, I, I know Andrew, you met him. I don't know. Dean, were you at the fitness summit when? No, no but I, I, I talked to Jay way too much. Okay. Okay. They, they and, um, so, when you when you own a business, you are selling yourself. Okay, people hate fake. They hate negative. They hate um, that that sort of scammy type of personality. They want to talk to a real person, but they also your brand is who you are. And so that's another thing that I was going to bring up in terms of like businesses and what they need to understand is that um, customers are even more so, especially with this millennial generation. They are even more interested in who is this person I'm buying from? What are they about? What are their values? What's their background? What are their hobbies? What do they love to do? What charities do they support? They want to know what kind of person you are that matters to them. Um, and so it's sort of your character and who you are that you're selling. And if you're genuine about it, you're going to do really well, typically, I mean, from what I've seen, if you're sort of that you know, yeah, there are definitely people who are sort of charlatans or they're very fake and they do well because they do a very good job of hiding who they really are. Sure. Um, but overwhelmingly, you know, good people tend to do well because people can, you know, relate to them. They're humble. They're easy to, to approach. I'm going to cut you off because I want you to tell us, since we're going to be real, what's the deal with, um, and this is just to preface this, Sarah likes octopuses and octopus <laughs> references. Tell us about why the octopuses and, and the tattoo? Oh, well, Tell us about um, yourself. so the octopus tattoo is a, is was originally a cover up. Um, I had like this small, really ugly butterfly, um, like tramp stamp basically that I got when I was 18 because <laughs> I just wanted to get a tattoo and I was like, Hey, you know, lower back. And then like a year later, 50 million white girls named Brandy have a tramp stamp tattoo, right? In every club you go to. So, um, like, that of course, wasn't my favorite tattoo. So I've always wanted to cover that up. I needed something big and colorful and it's taken me about six or seven years to decide what I was going to put there to cover it up. Uh, and I love octopus. So, um, I kind of joke with my friends that I think octopuses are actually aliens. Um, and it, and so, but if you dig into this, there's all these like, you know, forums on the dark <laughs> web about how like octopuses are really aliens. And, um, and I don't really think that, but it's, they're, they're very interesting. They, when you do, when you look at like DNA and genes and stuff and genetic coding. Um, most animals share like a very high percentage of the same genes, but like octopuses and pufferfish 
have like an incredibly low percentage of genes that they share with any other animal on the planet. Um, and so I'm like, hmm, maybe they're aliens. <laughs> but either way, they're they're like totally kind of majestic, um, I guess, graceful animals, but at the same time, incredibly menacing and potentially dangerous. <laughs> um, but they're intelligent. They're highly intelligent. If you've ever seen an octopus like escape from an incredibly small enclosure or yeah. container that's in, um, I mean, they're 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 one of the I think we, I don't, I don't know. They're just incredible. There's, there's a book I and don't it was know big. which, which one it is. It's, it's a, it's a neurological book, but it's, it has an octopus yes. on the front and obviously you probably know it. And that's probably what they're talking I have, about. I haven't read it yet. It's something about, um, hang on. It's on my bookshelf. I can't see it from all over here, but I know exactly which one you're talking about. So I read about. the reviews. They're like, yeah, they just talk about, like they didn't just talk about octopuses, but they're probably talking yeah. about that theory. Yeah. Oh, speaking of books. Yeah, sorry, okay. I guess that's a great segue. <laughs> Fucking right. You gotta you gotta drop one on us. <clears throat> we had from one from your guys' episode uh, before, but uh, you gotta drop a good one on us for our audience. Um so I haven't had a lot of opportunities to finish reading any books, although the one I'm reading right now is that um, Delivering Happiness by Tony. I can't I don't know how to say the last name. I think it's C I or Sai. He's the owner of Zappos, the CEO of Zappos. Oh, yeah. um, and his book is great. He has some great philosophies on business. Uh, essentially, it goes back to that whole concept of customer service. It it costs less to retain a customer by making them happy than it does to go find new customers constantly because you can't keep customers returning to you. So, um, you know, as small business owners, or even if you're a large business owner, if you are spending a shit ton of money advertising, trying to find new customers all the time, yet you don't retain the ones that you have, you might want to think about that. That's, I mean, there's bottom line. That's a standard business 101 concept. I think this book keeps coming up over and over and over. It came up this past weekend when I was in Spokane. Um, this one, I've had it in my queue for forever. I'm going to move it right to the next one on the list because it's, it's time I actually got that one. So I've heard nothing but endlessly positive things about it. So good. Yeah. Awesome suggestion. I want to find this octopus book. Now it's going to bother me. Cool. All right. So while Dean looks for the octopus book, um, let's remind everybody how we can find you on social media so the way they can follow you and more of the stuff that you've been talking about. Yeah. So um, I, I'm on Facebook, obviously, and Instagram. Um, yeah. And... I think my Instagram is just Sarah Ashman RD and I, and my Facebook is too. Um, on my website is www.vthenutritionatrix, which is the word nutrition and then atrix.com. Um, you can email me at, yeah, that's the one other minds. That's the book. It's, it's like 20 books down my list. Because uh, I have a giant stack up here on the shelf that I've got to get through first, but um, I've heard great things about it. Yeah, and um, email Sarah S A R A H Ashman A S H M A N R D as in registered dietitian at Gmail. I already know. I already know the graphic. Just to wrap things up, I already know the graphic we're doing for your podcast, which is. It's an octopus with her, that book cover with her head on it. Okay, that's great. Sorry. You're, yeah. That's your special graphic. <clears throat> I appreciate that. I hope you're okay with that. We'll, we'll, we we'll can, figure we're, something out. We're open to ideas, but that's that's a good idea. Hopefully I, it won't be too off-putting. 
and creepy, but... We, we, I won't let him if it's too off-putting and creepy, so don't worry. <laughs> Sarah, thank you so much yeah. for coming on. You're always amazing. Guys, I, I can't say this enough. Like, seriously, follow Sarah. She's great. She gets in a lot of stuff that is very different from you know, what a lot of our guests have gotten into. And it's going to expose you guys to some things that, as opposed to the traditional arguments over keto versus paleo or this stuff, this is some cutting edge stuff. So I think you're going to want to follow it. Lord knows I do. So, and if you liked this episode and let's say you're one of Sarah's listeners and you haven't heard any of our stuff before, go back and check out her and Jay in episode 26. We've got a Jay solo one. I think it's like a fourth episode or fifth episode we ever did. And we recently did a few with people like James Krieger, Dr. Spencer Nadolsky, and Holly Baxter, who do really cool nutrition stuff. So we've got a whole bunch of really awesome guests uh, that we've recently had. So check some of this stuff out if you like it. Maybe you'll subscribe and uh, check out what we've got coming up. Yeah, and we'll have you back on because I'm sure you'll have, we haven't even scratched the surface of your brain in terms of this. Oh, topic, yeah, so. sure. Anytime, guys. I had a lot of fun. Thank you. It's always a pleasure. Yeah. See, see you guys. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode number 34 of the Fitness Devil Podcast. Today's guest, we bring back Sarah Ashman. She gets her own episode. We uh, cut Jay out of the mix, so hang around and check out what Sarah has to say. We do a whole lot of nutrition talk, some more gut health, gut microbiome stuff. Um, We touch on wheat gluten again. We also sneak in there some stuff about how autism and gut microbiome have a relationship. We hit on Monsanto. You're going to have to listen to find out what that's all about. Uh, actually, a lot of stuff about uh, Sarah's recent uh, Master's of Business Administration and the role of business in our industry. And she has an octopus tattoo. We'll find out why octopi are important to Sarah. So enjoy. Thank you.